everybody, and welcome to the American Scouser podcast, our weekly recording, which is now live on video, so you can see Galley's fancy jacket and everything else uh, on our Facebook page, as well as on YouTube, and thanks to those listening to us on Spotify, iTunes, and other podcast formats. So, I am your host, as always. My name is Timuch, and I'm from, I'm at Chicago. With us today, the usual crew Galley is with us. Galley with the fancy jacket. What's happening? Galley with the fancy jacket. I can take that title. What's happening, boys? And for those of you wondering and afraid, we have confirmed that there's a shirt underneath that thing for our safety. And with us is Paul Bickler. Bickler, what's going on? It's decorative gourds this season, man. And for the first time, I don't know if you guys can see it, but I actually bought decorative gourds for the house, which makes me feel very like, Ah, uh, it's pretty adult-like of me. I'm not really sure what to feel about that, but yeah, that is very adult, uh, and you know, more like a grandma adult, if you will. No offense, but it goes well with like all. It goes well with all the empty beer cans, right? I mean, <laughs> an alcoholic grandma, yeah. <laughs> well, gentlemen, is there any other kind? <laughs> a lot to get to this week, obviously, with the the game traffic that we got going on. So I kind of figured we touch up on the the games that were passed, especially uh, we'll talk a bit more about the Brantford game probably, but let's talk about the Norwich game. And I want to get your guys a quick take in terms of like what you took away from it. But wait, Paul is way too happy and smiling. And I know freaking why, because he thinks I forgot about trivia, but hell no, I did not. Okay. Well, I did, but I just remember. Okay. So this week's trivia as always, to baffle you guys, is obviously we had the Porter game tomorrow, so it is Porter related. So if you kind of like studied up, you might know this. Uh, let's go with this total matches against Porto so far, like all time. This equals all European uh, cups, uh, so not just Champions League. Uh, total games and our record against them. And as always, go to the smiling Paul. Paul, what you got? Dude, like, oh, God. So that includes, like, Europa and all European competitions? Any European competition, yeah. Not not a lot other than Champions League for the most part. I don't want to give the answer away here, but, you know. Uh, I go seven. Okay. I can tell you why that's a bad guess in terms of being an odd number, but you do you. And what do you think our record is? <laughs> In those, I mean, I don't, I don't remember ever losing to Porto. Um, so you already told me seven is ridiculously low, basically. Um, I will go seven. I will go. <laughs> so I'll do seven. Six wins, one draw. I don't know. My six favorite wins, part, one draw. My favorite part is the seven. The seven call is by far my favorite because they've never played in a final, and I don't know how it would get odds. <laughs> That's the only part I know is they didn't play in a final. But Look, dude, seven's my favorite number, all right? If I want to pick my favorite number. So now you guys are telling me what I can't even can't guess in trivia now? Well, no, I would appreciate guesses like, like this moving forward. Um, <laughs> but they don't make it any easier for me because I have no clue. I'm going to go a little higher and say, well, my favorite number is 11. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to go 10. Uh I'm going to go 10, and I'm going to go eight wins, one draw, one loss. 
Okay, let me spill this out real quick over here. Or let's wait till the Champions League talk to keep the suspense going. And maybe like the listeners, watchers can kind of. No, no, no. no. I really like the air of condescension we have coming from you right now. Why don't you just tell us? (laughs) Dude, no offense. Seven was a horrible guess because we haven't played a final. so You You don't know that. There could have been a match abandoned. (laughs) Okay, so we have played a total of eight times. So that part was close. Just an odd number didn't make sense. Uh, Six of them in the Champions League. uh, Five wins against them and only three draws. So you got that part right, Paul. We have not lost to them ever. Uh, in the Champions League, we're basically four and two, four wins, two draws. Uh, and we played in the UFA Cup back in 2001, where we tied them over there 0 0, and we beat them in Anfield 2 0 to advance. Nevertheless, seven was a horrible guess. Okay, so let's get to the <laughs> Norwich game. And I want to, like I say, take your guys, you know, like what was your takeaway from the game? What, what did you like uh, in terms of performance? What impressed you? Or who didn't impress you and stuff like that. So, Gally, let's start with you. Uh, I like the I like the rotation of the squad. I like seeing a new back five. I was happy to see uh, Kanate out there again, getting more minutes. Uh, I most was impressed in the match um, with the fact that Taki was playing well. I thought he was lively on the ball and he took both of his uh, opportunities well and put him in the net. And I think when you don't get many minutes as a, as a striker, you have to do that to force your way into the thoughts. Uh, and I really like that. And I have to say that, you know, whether it's a true Renaissance or it's just a putting three, four performances together, he was good again and not just good. He was lively. He moved, he created, and he actually looked like he had a little bit of an understanding with Taki, which, Makes me think we might bode well if they decide to go with this front three. So that would be my positives. Speaking of positives, David Cosgrove says, Taki was brilliant, gets the star versus Porto for me. And if you're getting something positive from Cosgrove, you know that guy did something good. Uh, Show's over. (laughs) You know what the funny thing is? I was just thinking of this. Uh, Cosgrove actually used to be part of our podcast as well, and we should get him on here. Absolutely. Uh, the only catch is at the time you we were not doing video, and I remember some shirtless recordings based on what he's told us at the time. So it would be a really risky proposition right now. I'm actually more intrigued by that than anything, to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, let's go back to uh, you in terms of like the Norwich game. Like, what did you make of it? Uh, what did you take away from it? Uh, so I like the rotation as well. I was quietly shocked by Origi's performance in a good way, to be quite honest. And like, mm-hmm. it's like you said, it's not the goals, um, or even the contribution, but like the movement, like the things that like don't show up necessarily in the, on the stat lines. Like I just thought his spacing and his movement looked really, really good. Um, and that is not something I've said about him in probably three years. Um, or maybe ever, not sure. But, um, the other thing that I was really, uh, that I remember being really like pumped about was like, I thought Tyler Morton's performance was like incredible just for a kid to come in at that level at 18 and have a debut and just like, keep it super simple. Like he was like positionally extremely sound. I thought he recycled possession from that spot, like crisply and quickly. Um, I was just impressed by that. I thought it was like an extremely mature performance in a very tough spot. 
Yeah, I thought it was like good to see overall the performances. Um, I mean, you kind of expect it to be a little bit disconnected, right? It's just like, you know, a group of players that have not played together, but you can kind of tell the system is still the same. Uh, I was like Gali said, it was good to see the back line and it was especially pleasing to see, especially, I mean, with the injuries that we had, Bobby's back now, but it's kind of good to have Taki and Divac look good. Uh, and kind of like on the up and maybe in form. And I know it's like a League Cup and, you know, whatever it's called now, and it doesn't have as much meaning. So maybe it's less stress for them as well to perform under as opposed to coming into a league game or Champions League game, like, you know, like David is suggesting. But I feel like, you know, it's still good to have you know, you're, know that your squad, the rest of the squad is performing well and ready to go, especially we will need them uh, as these games come uh, fast and furious. I know the international break is coming up, but afterwards we go kind of like full speed again. And then, you know, and, and also like winning was good. Obviously, we didn't even talk about that. But, you know, winning was a good thing because I want these guys to get more games. And we kind of like touched up on this last podcast in terms of when we think we will really go for it or you know, how long we would go. Obviously, our matchup is favorable to play this team again. So these guys get an opportunity to go out there and get them play another game. And I think they need that. That's been the the biggest disappointment for me over the last few years of getting out of these, you know, domestic cups early has been not that I give that much value to the domestic cup or winning it, which, you know, trophy is a trophy and I'll take it if we win it. But I wanted these guys to get more time in terms of playing. Uh, so let's come to the weekend, which was obviously a bit more painful it really hurts because i really thought we had it in the bag and we probably should have i know you know brantford should get a lot of credit they did play well and they could have won that game easily too they had a ton of opportunities especially in the first half and they could have probably should or maybe had more against us in the first half we should never have been in that position to take the lead and then you know if mo finishes that or we had a couple of them back to back there if you finish one of those i think we put that game away not that branford would go away but i think we would basically see it through even if we conceded i thought that game was going to end like five three or something like that if salah makes that four two uh so bickler let's start with you on this one what did you think out of the like the final results oh and just the overall performances um it was a weird one for me because it never felt like a draw like it was going to end in a draw like i it just seemed like we were going to always have the upper hand on that one i felt like their goals like came oftentimes against the run of play like they just kind of popped out whether it was loose balls popping out to people i don't know it just it, it they had chances but it felt like their goals came kind of from just momentary lapses and in, in, in bobbles of the ball that fell their way. Um, and that's not to take anything away from them because they caused us problems from the kick. And I think that was the most frustrating thing for me is like, we were clearly vulnerable. Um, but to me, like there was absolutely zero tactical change. Like we just continued to do essentially what the system does without any sort of change in shape uh any sort of like it didn't seem like there was any sort of tactical shift from the midfield assignments it was very frustrating watching that regard um it, you know collectively the back line played poorly uh i'm really concerned about rabo we can go into that later but i'm really concerned about him um 
and they overloaded the right side. So essentially, like if you look at it, all of the goals came from the left channel, which has played poorly for the last couple of weeks in general. When you look at the midfield, Sadio and whoever's been at fullback. And now, granted, Costas has been has been a, a, a much improved. In uh, you know, his crosses are beautiful, and he's been he's been pretty good. But on the whole, the left side has struggled. Um, so. Those goals came in from missed assignments and a failure to close down on the left channel. Brentford overloaded the right, which a lot of teams do versus us. Um, and really like left, you know, Montip and Trent in a bad spot. Um, and that's really down to the fact that we just didn't have an answer for that. And I and that's that's hard for me to swallow. How about you, Gally? I know you're pretty hot about the tactics overall. I know Cosgrove brings up uh, the substitution for uh, he says people will always talk about Genie sub versus Bar Barcelona as Klopp's best sub, which, mind you, was kind of forced. Uh, but that Jones for Bobby sub versus Brantford will be his worst. And, I mean, it was obviously already in the work. So, you know, him scoring and coming out. But I thought with Bobby coming in, we did create those chances to be able to extend the lead further. And it did kind of work. And we don't know if, you know, just the way he came out, he did not look like he was walking normal when Jones came out. So I don't know if it was hurt or something like that as well. And, and that was part of the deal in terms of like the minutes he's going to get. But I felt it was more defensive issues than, you know, Bobby's defensive work rate because I don't think it was lacking that bad. But what do you make of it overall, Gally? So here's where I would take it. I, I, I'm with Paul uh, on the first half. There was some dreadful, dreadful defending. And let's be honest, we haven't criticized our center backs at all, all year long. And our fullbacks weren't good in this matchup, not on either side. And we're going to get to Robo in a bit. But our center backs weren't great either. They lost one-on-one -on -one duels, which then left them in situations to have to cover. And Brentford kept getting behind that which is how the first goal happens basically after they go to sleep and the ball gets swept across. Fab is falls asleep at the back post. I mean, it's just a comedy of errors and none of it's funny. Right. But tactically I would actually say, we say we saw no tactical change. See, I think that's where the problem lies. Jurgen Klopp was trying to make a tactical change in taking off Jones and bringing on Bobby because he was going to shift a little bit with playing with all four attackers. And he only really does that when he's trying to change the game. Because I believe he was putting Bobby on to score the go-ahead goal. But once you get that goal, you have two choices. You put Bobby on for Jota or one of the other front three. And you put Milner on for Jones. Or you leave Jones on the pitch and you put Milner on another way. Because... How Jim's, James Milner doesn't get into that game to help us see it out after we finally took the lead. We were finally up 3-2 to two again. So now you have to shift, and I think that was Jurgen Klopp doing his so entrenched in his own mindset that Bobby was coming on at this time. That was part of the plan. I'm bringing him on at this time. We've just scored the worldy goal, and I'm still bringing him on. And I'm not going to revert to a more defensive setup or give help to the center backs or drop more off. I'm going to keep attacking with that mentality. And I just think it was terrible decision-making. I think the first sub off the bench, once you have a lead, has to be James Milner. And it should have been at trying to see the game out. And honestly, the fact that he didn't think about bringing in Shamikas as well 
or somebody to give the defense just some fresh legs after they looked like they were getting run at. As Paul said, you guys realize I'm pretty sure about this. Allison made zero registered saves in the match, which basically means they had three scoring opportunities off three defensive mistakes, and they took all three of them. Yeah, I think, like, you know, I didn't love the buildup to this game in general. I thought there was, like, way too much talk about Champions League and City coming up. Like, and Brentford's been giving people loads of problems. Like, they came into this game. Everybody talks about how they cause problems offensively with the kind of a, a, a front uh, – a striking pair, which is unusual. But, like, they've only conceded twice all year coming into this game. And, like, you know, like, I was just concerned that they're they're a better team than a lot of people give them credit for, even though they're, like, a newly promoted team. But, like, I thought the team had, an uh, like, a casual, like, I thought there was, like, a casual layer of arrogance to the team that I didn't much care for um, throughout the match. And I think this, like, we talked about this in the very first West Brom game last year where I said, like, you know, we ended up drawing that match in, like, like a, what I want – I've seen a lot from this team. It's obviously one of the most exciting teams in world football, and we've enjoyed – we've been spoiled for a number of years. A lot of supporters don't realize how spoiled we are to see this team in week in, week out. But what I want to see from this team is the ability to roll up your sleeves and put a blue-collar, like, shift in where you can actually just grind a game down and bleed timeout when you need to. And, like – I thought we got caught up in the fact that we were in an arms race and that like that substitute kind of mirrored that for me. It was like, Oh, well, we're just going to outscore them eight, seven if we need to. And like, I would rather see us understand when we're exposed in the back, when we have a vulnerability in the system and a team is causing problems and literally just use a midfield to do what it's do designed to do, which is control the game and just bleed the game out. So that's what I was going to ask you guys. I mean, because it did seem like that. I mean, what do you think, Gally? It, it, was it that, that we were kind of looking behind them, especially once we took the lead? Uh, we kind of like battled back to take the lead and almost gives that impression like, see, when we step on the gas, we're back ahead again kind of thing. And obviously that substitution also kind of feeds that sentiment on the field as opposed to, you know, putting less, you know, like some of the followers are suggesting you know putting milner in there uh telling people on the field hey we gotta hold on to this oh, control the game professional win you know this is what we do putting bobby in there and saying let's go let's go get some more i i mean do you think that kind of like mentality is basically what doomed us at the end i do i i, I think honestly the way we scored the goals and the way we kept coming back you know we fall down one nothing we get back and you know get level we have a couple more good opportunities. Then we start dominating possession and we take the lead through Mo's goal, right? The emotional VAR goal that doesn't count and then gets ruled on. It's his hundredth goal. And now everyone's feeling good. And we clearly should score more goals after that. We miss a few chances. Sadio missed a couple. Mo missed another. Um, I think Jota had a really terrible touch off his knee. There was just a few times that it was just off. And then they score the equalizer at 2-2. And then you get that Jones strike. And I'm sorry, that emotion, it actually looked in some of their eyes like relief. Like, all right, now we got this. And we'll go close this out. And I feel the manager just took, literally, he had the ability to put the wind in their sails 
by putting on old man Milner to start yelling at people and John with the ref and picking up a yellow. And instead, honestly, I think he managed the way he did his first year in England. He just kept attacking. He just kept playing his style. And I think the first word in David's comment, I haven't even been able to read it, but the naivety from the manager was like, these boys will get it done. And it didn't get it done. And I think the guys lost on the field, lost a little bit of focus because, you know, uh, Ben mentioned earlier, it reminded him of the Leeds game. It reminded me too much of the Bournemouth game. And when Tony's ball went in and we went down 4-3, I thought to myself, this this is going to be like another, like that Bournemouth game when Carrius bobbled it up and we went from 3-1 up to 4-3 down and we lost. And I actually had that feeling of, oh, no, a week of this leading up to Porto and City. You know, so is it doom and gloom? Is it over? No. But the Brentford side showed up, played better than our club, and I think Paul put it best. We got a point, should have got all three deserved nothing can you put that uh barcelona graphic up to me do you have that uh this one right here right yeah yeah so this is obviously an old graphic from the barcelona game but this goes back to fergus's comment about the disconnect uh in the midfield and defense is a really good comment um because if you look at this system you can see how high up we usually expect trent to go and this this high press um but what happened in this game that i noticed off the get is that Fabinho is extremely late to fold back into this back four for almost the entire match. Um, And that is really what allows Trent to be positionally sound and where he's supposed to be when he gets that high up on the pitch. Um, When we get hit on the counter and teams overload us, if Fab is late, we have serious problems. That was exacerbated by the fact that Rabo continues to drop deep and break this high line. Um, you got to look at this whole graphic as you press back, obviously. But the other thing that was really interesting, and Jennings talks about this in an article that we're going to be posting later tonight. Um, he talks about the fact that the first two goals are essentially blown as- start from blown assignments by Jones, which is very interesting because Curtis Jones, for all intents and purposes, is obviously a very promising player. But his starting position was too high a number of times. What that does is that breaks the passing triangle on that left side, but it also puts us in a bad spot down, down that side. And we were continually beat, and Robbo was slow to close down that, that thing. So we can all talk about, you know, Trent, you know, not being where he needs to be and the goals coming from the right side. But a lot of it had to do with a breakdown on that left channel that's been playing poorly and the fact that we weren't closing it out. And there was a disconnect between midfield and defense that they exploited. Yeah, that was a great point, whoever made that in the chat, about the uh, midfield disconnect. And I think it's also a great point that Frank got everything right. And when smaller clubs play big clubs, right, we always hear this, you have to get everything right. And I think he got it right from his lineup from his substitutions to the tactics. I mean, he had to put on a non-center back to play in his back three because of the injury to Pinnock, and he still was able to get those guys to stay organized enough to make it difficult with all the possession we had. So, you know, I just think you do have to tip your cap every once in a while to them, to the other team. But I think it's okay, as a lot of us are, Cosgrove, me, Paul, yourself, Tamuchin at times, you know, it's okay to question Klopp. You don't you don't hit a home run every time. And I feel like he made some real, real mistakes in this match that 
actually affected the play on the pitch. More often than not, he takes uh, blame for mistakes I don't think are actually his because he's that good a manager for his men and for his lads. In this case, they let him down by not executing his poor tactics, in my opinion. And I think that's part of, you know, if we say, I mean, to me at least, if Klopp has a weakness, uh, it's the fact that sometimes he overtrusts. Uh, the you know the eleven he puts out there and stuff. I mean, we talked about this in the past in terms of like substitutions that come out too come in too late and stuff like that. But I mean, you can totally argue the opposite that I mean, you can't argue the record. So maybe that trust might cost you a game here or whatever. But in the grand scheme of things, is what builds the team and builds the confidence to keep going and stuff like that. So you kind of kind of argue both sides. I do agree though. I thought it was. I mean, of course, if, you know, Salah converts that, like I say, we're talking about like a whole different score and maybe we're going to even say, oh, that was a good move to put Bobby in because we became attacking and kind of like finished them off because they did have a lot of holes in the back and we were exploiting them. We just did not finish. And defensively, I mean, it's not like, you know, I know like after a game like this, you know, the natural reaction is we score three, we should win, right? I mean, when you score three away, you should come back with three points. But overall, our record has not been bad defensively so far this year. But I would argue that we have given some, a lot of openings that, you know, Becker has kind of like saved our ass on. And this was just not one of those games. He did not have those saves. If you go back and look at, you know, this entire season, and even like, you know, in the, I mean, with this high line, there will be opportunities yep. and situations that we give up. And Becker usually keeps us in the game and keeps it 0-0 as opposed to, you know, trying to do a comeback and stuff. But let's go back to, you know, we kind of like talked about it and it's going to kind of like lead to. So obviously the news came out today uh, that um, we're going to talk about the Porto game that Trent is not going to be going to. It did not travel with the team. And that automatically, knowing club also puts a situation uh, in danger for the weekend. Um, I mean, it could be one of those deals where it was like, hey, you freaking stay here and take care of yourself because we're going to need you against City. You know, we'll go handle Porto and stuff, which I kind of want to ask you guys this before we go into that conversation. Do you guys, are you guys okay with almost sacrificing this game with the City game looming? In terms of lineup, in terms of, you know, we're going to kind of like talk about in terms of like who we expect to see. Mm -hmm. Are you guys willing to kind of sacrifice a little bit in terms of not, you know, playing some more depth, uh, just knowing that City is coming up? And if it was a different game, maybe this weekend, we would probably feel a different lineup against Porto. What do you think, Bickler? I think you have to. I mean, like for me, the priority is always going to be the league, right? I mean, um, I think we've got enough quality and rotation that we can put out a solid squad still that's going to compete and should beat Porto. Um, no disrespect to Porto, but like, I don't think you have a choice. I think, I think you have to. And in this situation specifically regarding Trent, um, Nico has just traveled with the team. Um, and for me, I know Milner's there and everyone's kind of expecting Milner. I'd rather see Nico in this one. I'd rather see Nico in this one. Uh, Milner played exceptionally last time out at right back recently. And I think you put him out for city. I would, I actually was going to say, I think you're going to see from this, you're going to know right away. I think if James Milner is starting tomorrow at right back, Jurgen Klopp expects Trent to play Sunday against City. 
because he's not sending Nico Williams out for his first minutes. And I know it's crazy to say he'll send him out for his first minutes in Europe, but he would. I mean, he sent Reese Williams out to play his first minutes in Europe instead of putting a guy like Fabinho in the back at that time. You know what I mean? He he sent out a kid in Atlanta, Atlanta to make that debut in the Champions League, and that was a big, big call, right? I think he'd send Nico out to start that game tomorrow. Um, and then that's because Milner is on ice for for Sunday with the idea that Trent's probably not there. Now, I also think Gomez is a shout, but I think Gomez is going to start tomorrow as a center back, actually, alongside Van Dyke, uh, because I do not believe you start Joel Matip three times in a week if you expect him to play the following week. Or the following two months. <laughs> and I think he has to... Um, and I, you know, I, I would love to see, and maybe that is, maybe, you know, the guys in the chats are saying Gomez at right back in one of these games, which I could totally see. Um, but then I think you're playing Kanate and Verge and now you got a right back that was injured for a long time. Kanate, I think, yeah. I think Matip has to be rested. And the fact, you know, again, that we didn't see Phillips in even that game against Norwich. I think lets you know we're probably not going to see him again. I think – I mean, I don't see why you don't see Gomez and Kanate at center back in this match for me personally. Um, I, and I honestly, I'll go against the grain. Gomez has played it right back loads. I fucking hate him there, to be quite honest. Like, I think he's – I think he's like – if if we look back at when he's played right back, he's had some of his worst games there, and he's consistently out of position and consistently slow to close down on the right channel. Cross is coming in. Um, like I just, I would rather not have them there. I think, uh, both Nico and Milner are better shouts for that spot right now. And I'd rather see him like start forming a partnership with Kanate, um, which I think to me is our strongest pairing there, um, with a rotation. So we're in agreement then overall that we are pretty much, I mean, under normal circumstances, you know, if this was like, and maybe because it is Porto, if it was like Atletico Madrid and stuff, I don't think we will be taking as many risks in terms of depth. But in the big picture, it almost, it's odd because Champions League is only, you know, six games in the group and the league, there's a lot more games where you can make up ground, but it almost feels like the weekend game is much more important against City. Uh that you can kind of sacrifice. I mean, I guess you're not sacrificing it, but, you know, by playing squad, risking it, maybe I should say. I'd be rotating in this match. It sounds crazy to say, right, a Champions League match on the way, on the road. But the way they play, the matchups that we have, uh, we match up well with the club. Like, we match up well with Porto when we play them. We score buttloads of goals against them. Um, so whether it's Minamino or Rigi getting a shot, I'd love to see one of them get a start. I don't believe they will, but I, I could see it. I, I think the one guarantee for me is I expect Jota to start this match. Um, it's his former club. He's back in Portugal playing. You know, he played for it. It's where he started his career. I could see Jota getting a start. Um, and I think that will be telling to the fact that he's probably the guy coming off the bench in the city matchup, you know, later in the week. Cause I, I think that's when we get back to Bobby Moe and Mane, in my opinion. And I think you can read into sometimes how Klopp handles these. He starts this one, he subs out this one. Um, and I just think that's what we're going to see tomorrow. It's almost like we're 
working backwards, right? Like we want, we're trying to figure out the 11 for City and that kind of working backwards, trying to figure out who would play against Porto. But I go, I agree with like Fergus, who's saying uh, the fact of the matter is that Porto is the step, are deceptively dangerous. We can't discount them. And that's the thing. Usually Porto is dangerous going forward as an attacking team. And like you're saying, we score a lot of goals on them because they're not usually, I think this is the case for, most teams from Portugal where they focus more on the attacking part of the game uh, and almost like outscoring you. And that's why, especially on the away games, we're able to kind of get goals on the counter and stuff like that while they're attacking us, as opposed to when they come to Enfield and maybe they'll sit back a bit more and they'll play counter. But I, yeah, I'm almost afraid to rotate way too much on defense because I feel like Porto is a team that can be dangerous and kind of give us a, lot of problems so before we go to, i mean uh let's talk about the middle of the defense real quick though because i know we had like some stuff to get to and i know like bickler gave me these graphics earlier to kind of like go over and kind of see i know the problem is and maybe that is a problem because i know like david is asking us to talk about money a little bit which we might get to towards the end but i don't know if that's part of the issue too that does not help robo right now of uh, money is doing but Bickler, I mean, what do you say overall, especially like the fullbacks and the defensive play? Because like I say, Becker has saved our butts quite a few times this season that I can recall. Are we more susceptible defensively? Is it because we're not really fielding the midfields that we want to now because of the injuries? What do you make of it? I think, you know, this is interesting. I really do think that the absence of Genie is kind of an important play here because it is sort of the anchor that ties the passing lanes on that left side down where Robo does his overlapping, his interplay. And I think not being able to get Nabby going on that side. Now you've got Curtis Jones over on that side. We've seen Henderson on that side. We've seen Milner on that side. So there's a lack of cohesion that anchors that left side. I don't know what's going on with Robo right now. His delivery has been off all year and now he's starting to drop the drop back, which generally you see somebody break a high line when they don't trust their center backs. He's got no reason to not trust Virgil sitting right next to him. I'm not exactly sure. This is the fourth game in a row. I've seen him consistently step back on the line and break the high line. Virgil looks like he's getting pissed. Like at first I thought maybe it was like, like maybe it was a tactical thing they were working on. Like it was intentional. Cause by the third game, I was like, dude, this has got to be on purpose. And, like, it's clearly Virgil's face tells me it's not on purpose. And I'm not sure what's going on with that. Um, for me, if you're going to take Ghost's, like, wondrous crosses and corner kicks out of the team, give me at least mediocre Robbo. Like, that's concerning for me. Um, I, I really made this graphic out of curiosity today because uh, there is an argument that I was seeing online which I, of course, played no part in, um, where somebody was essentially saying that Trent is great offensively, but defensively is a liability. And I completely disagree with that entire notion. Um, the argument that he can't defend or he's not a good defender to me is completely false on the face of it. If you look at the graphic to me and he's leading our back line, and essentially tackles made, duels won, interceptions. I mean, obviously he's got a couple of games on Rabo, so that tilts those stats. But the percentages tell you that, you know, he's he's played well defensively. 
Like, you know, and, and honestly, he didn't have his best game versus Brentford. Nobody did. Uh, but I think this – I think the argument that he's not a good defender is completely a myth. Um, and that's really why I made this. I think with, you know, in terms of trends and when people say he's not good defensively, I think partially it's because it's assumed so because he's so good offensively, right? We just try to figure out say, you know, one is better than the other, so this must be bad kind of thing. But my only issue that I've ever had with him in terms of like defensively, I feel like he does tend to fall asleep a bit more and like, you know, be a split second behind at times. And I know it goes back to the, like the graphic that we were talking about initially where his position is meant to be higher up. I understand that sometimes they're like, well, what is Trent over there? But I mean, he's not supposed to be there. I understand that. But I feel like when he is back, there are times where, it feels like he gets caught ball watching a little bit. And that's, I think, the only part that is lacking in terms of defensively. I think when he's one-on-one with people, he's a good defensive player, which, you know, like you can kind of see in the numbers and the dual numbers and stuff like that. Uh, what do you make of it, Galley? So I, I've been really critical, or I was critical of Robertson in the last game, and I and I, and I were matching. I've questioned, you know, I think uh, we just saw a comment come through talking about how much football he's played and the time in the national team. You know, I would argue minute for minute that we see that the two guys on our left-hand side play the most football at our club, Cesario Mane and, Ale- and, and Robo. Both for club and country, they play 90 minutes every time. They captain the squad. They're the biggest guy in the in the lineup. They're, they're leaders. Um, I'm not giving either an excuse because I think they've both been below their level. But I'll roll back to a couple of comments before. I do agree with David. This is a crazy-ass night. We're all agreeing with David throughout it from start to finish. Um, but well, I'll he's wearing a shirt, so that's the good thing. Well, he is wearing a shirt. That's a great <laughs> thing. Uh, we don't know that. Well, at least I was just going to say, at least in the picture on screen. But But where I do think it is is that Robo has been a worldie for three plus years and he's needs to play his way back in and he's going to play his way back in. But I also think, I think it was uh, one of the posters also mentioned that for the first time in his Liverpool career, he has a left back who is even getting positive plaudits or even comments about his play. And I don't think that that's why his plays down. I think that's why we're lucky that we have a deeper squad that to this year we can go to Porto and actually send out a backup left back to let him get his legs and get some rest and hopefully not have to play any minutes and get ready for the city match. And I think Costas should start this match tomorrow. And I think it's partially down to form. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, Ben says, you know, Robo's played a ton and he's not going to get a break from the Scottish national team, kind of like what you're saying. And because, you know, uh, if you're getting a knock or if you feel like you're a step slower than usual, you're probably more likely to start back too soon and break the line, which is going back to what Paul was talking about. And we do see that. And we've kind of seen it in the past. Sometimes, you know, uh, as one of a poor soul who played center back, uh, sometimes like, you know, the fullback looks like the hero cause he comes from the other side and saves the day with a tackle. Uh, but you know, if you're not familiar with the game and if you're not played defense, 
That's because he broke the line in the first place. That's why he's in that position to be able to do it. If he wasn't there, it was going to be offsides and we were going to be able to go with it. I think in terms of, I mean, we have run Robo into the ground. And he's a player that his biggest strength is probably the energy and the nonstop energy. And maybe, yeah, he's kind of like overcompensating sometimes by, you know, trying to get a step ahead and be able to catch up and stuff. I think that's why now that we have Costas, I, last year because of COVID and all that kind of stuff, he just did not look like, it's kind of like, I feel like Nico on the right-hand side. I don't know if any of us, for example, feel very comfortable with him there, you know, playing the position just like we would expect with not, not a huge drop-off. Obviously, there's going to be a drop-off from one of the best, you know, fullbacks in that position in the league to another, you know, squad player. But I feel like that gap has closed a bit with Costa. So if nothing else, to get some more rest, more than the form, I think that will kind of help Robo's form. What you say, Bickler? Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, you know, my intention to bring up the the whole Robo situation isn't to, to – to say, you know, he's in poor form and needs to be benched. Uh, yeah, it's it's just it, – I think, you know, Ben makes a good point. Maybe this is related to him nursing a, a knock. You know, we know he took a good one and uh, earlier this year, and we know he's had some stuff go on in training. So, like, maybe maybe that's what it is. Um, I think, yeah, the emergence of Costas is, is a godsend because, like, in a way, I feel like it was irresponsible how we played Robbo. Like mm-hmm. I feel like it was, it was, it was not. It was in the club's best. It was in the best interest of team performance, but I do not feel like it was the best interest of his 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 career uh, and his longevity. Because I think that is how you run players into the ground into uh, in, into soft tissue injuries um, in general. So, like, yeah, I I, I would love to see. Uh, more rotation across the entire back four. Um, you know, we're doing it with center backs because we have to. Um, but I'd, I'd love to see us voluntarily do it uh, now that Costas has stepped up for sure. It reminds me of if you like related to American sports, like in the NFL, like running your running back into the ground on his last like year of his contract, <laughs> just keep giving him the ball because you don't care. So that, he's not going to be resigned next year. Kind of like that, Barry Sanders with your boy with your Detroit. Lions. I was trying not to bring up. Don't the you Lions. dare! How do you bring don't you up dare bring up the Detroit Lions this this week. Do not do it. That's not right. after the after the non call on the. Uh, delay a game and then like give it up fourth and 19 and then the, I, we're not going to bring the lines into it anyway it was a very lions way to lose but anyway we just brought it up at the end sure but, was <laughs> so going against going along with the conversation with these guys so today uh club talked about obviously we had the two captains hando and milner and we also had um you know, the two players that, you know, the players voted as the captains, as Genie and Van Dyke. So today it's announced that obviously we lost Genie. Uh, I guess Genie is worth three guys to replace Genie on this player uh, thing uh, committee, I think he called it. Uh, they voted amongst the players and they voted Trent, Robo, and Allison as those three players. First off, I'm assuming these are not like almost like co-captains because how much freaking roster can we rotate to get to the sixth guy to be the captain? Uh, what do you make of this, Bickler? I know we were kind of like talking about it during the day today when the news first came out. It just felt too excessive to the point where 
I don't know if the sixth guy feels uh, any special for being voted the sixth best uh, likely to be captain kind of thing. And I don't know if it's kind of like helps with the other players or is this something that, you know, the players might not care too much about if yeah. you're not one or two, it's like whatever. I think it's probably that. I think they probably don't care. It's just weird to me. Like, you know, like I don't want to sound like the old like dude that's angry at the end of the bar. That's probably my wheelhouse. It's probably my brand. <laughs> that's so anyway, but but it's like for me, it's like, dude, what's the fucking point of having a like 25% of your team be captains? Like, if you look at the roster, they're traveling with 22 to Europe and eight of them are captains. Like, I mean, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like I get, you're going to have alternate captains and I think it's publicly released and we talk about it because like, it's just something to talk about. Right. But I think it's probably an absolute non-story on the team. I'm guessing there are members Arigi <coughs> who probably don't even know who they are. Well, I I'll guarantee that Arigi has no idea other than <laughs> yeah. Jordan Henderson who the captain of this team is. <laughs> right. And I bet some days he's like, who's captaining? And they're like, probably, hey. probably thinks it's Milner. Cause Milner's just telling him to get in bed. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's telling him, no, telling him to get up. It's not getting bed. He's telling him to get up. Like we got practice. You got to come to work today. Um, so all right. I think this is hokey. I think this is dumb. I think it's kind of Americanized. And this sounds exactly like something Jurgen Klopp would love to have a press conference of because if he talks about this, he doesn't have to talk about not buying players or injured players or his poor tactics on Saturday. And I genuinely think he pointed to, and I think this is Jurgen too. Every once in a while he needles. You know, I always mention how I love hearing his pre-match presser because it lets you know the attitude he's going to have in the post-match presser. Well, especially in the build-up to the Sean Dyche battles where he starts his digs so he can come in and tell him how much he hates him on the way out. And I feel like that was a little bit of this. Like, he was winding up people. He was like, oh, you told me last year that there was emotional drama because Mo wanted to be captain, and I didn't name him captain. I'll can show you. I'll name everyone captain in succession down. You won't stop me. So these are my captains. Last year, I had everyone injured to the point where I I made Trent captain one match. They He gave it to Jeannie because basically it was Hendo, Milner, Virgil. And then they were like, notice last year was a three-man committee until all three men weren't actively fit. And then there was a fourth man added to the committee. And it was like, Jeannie can be captain. And then what did people do? How can you give the captain to a man who's going to walk out at the end of the year? Clap doesn't really care. I honestly believe that. He has one captain at the club. Whether he's playing in the match or not, he's in charge of it all. He's in charge on the days when he's hurt. He's in charge when he's sick. And now his two left and right backs who just had miserable afternoons get some positive press because they're now voted co-captains by their team. And, you know, the big good-looking goalie, who everybody loves, looks like the brawny man. It's like, I'm pretty sure it's the reason my wife gets up and watches Liverpool matches in the morning. She's like, Allison's playing, right? And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. The guy with the beard I can't grow. He's playing. But honestly, like, what do we care who the captains are? It's Jordan Henderson. That's all that matters. 
to me, it reminds me we should have a meeting as American scouts or contributors and pick some captains amongst ourselves as well. But I, I think you know anything with like captains, we have one you know. captain and he speaks at the start of the show. <laughs> right. Well, well, it goes back to the best looking one thing. So I guess we go. <laughs> with that. Uh, but okay, so I. I don't know. Anybody who's played a team, anybody who was captain kind of knows that, like you're saying, you don't have to name the actual captains. Uh, there are certain players that everybody kind of listens to either because they're too loud and they're like the vocal ones or they lead by example and they talk. They don't talk a lot, but when they talk, everybody listens. I mean, depends on personalities, but there's already those guys are already in there. You don't have to like, just do like a vote and like pick the guys and stuff like that. But let's go back to the games as we kind of like wrap this up in terms of what we expect coming up. When we sit here next Monday, when we do our live show again, seven o'clock central on Monday, Bickler, what do you expect to be talking about? I know what you're hoping to be talking about, but what do you expect to be talking about? City win, man. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about beating City. I agree. I don't even think I, it's going to be kind of like how we talked about the Norwich game this week in terms of how we touch up on the Porto game next week. Boys, is disappointed that we don't have a midweek uh, game. We might have a post-match, actually. We kind of like ended up smacking on the You should see the shit we have to do to just do it once a week. Are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> we're trying our best on those post-matches. They are great, but it is a little more work. These guys actually, you know, we do a nice job making ourselves look good and talk and sound stupid. I, I feel hard. like we've, we've maximized sounding <laughs> stupid and looking good. We need to flip well, that. hard, too, because we have to coordinate course. with hair and makeup twice, which is, you know, yeah. like yeah. half the yeah. deal. It takes two hours for Paul's makeup uh, just to make the podcast. So this is after two hours of makeup, right, Paul? Hey, that's that's a conservative estimate. <laughs> I believe I believe we will be talking about our best team performance of the entire year so far. I really believe that on next Monday. I think Sunday is going to be when it comes together, and I'm hoping that uh, there'll be a great performance tomorrow as well, and maybe we'll all get together and talk about it, or maybe we won't. Uh, but either way, I think next Monday night when we all get back together, I'm hoping two things. One, we're talking about a great performance. And two, I'm hoping we have as much activity and new people checking us out and checking in for the first time as we've had tonight. Because it's been really awesome having all these comments and interaction from uh, the folks watching us live on Facebook and YouTube TV. Well, be careful what you wish for, because now Boaz wants yeah. us to wear like black suits. Well, this black suits, no shirt, I'm saying. Listen, we, I dressed up once nice for this pod, and, like, you know, we all know how that got, went over with you guys. So, I mean. <laughs> I'm hoping that, I mean, you're right, Gally, in terms of this Brantford game, we kind of look back to it as, I mean, we partially say, hey, it's two points blown, uh, one point gain, whichever way, you know, half full, half empty, we'll get the glass. But I'm hoping you are right, and we kind of look back at this game and say this is the one that we kind of, it's the one that kind of woke us up and kind of like shook us off and said, hey, if we don't take every game seriously, we're not going to win. And what better game to take really seriously in the league against City this weekend? So it might have come at like a great time in that sense too. Go ahead. Had, to listen, had to listen to the announcers gush over City, right? Which I understand when you go and you beat Chelsea at the level and the way they were playing it at Stamford Bridge. But I found it fitting 
that they wanted to almost commend the fact that would be amazing. They want to almost commend the that fact. That would be irresponsible. That would be irresponsible <laughs> and amazing all at once. We have one member of American Scouser over right now, and if she gets back, we'll find out if they let any of us come down. But I honestly think I lost my full train of thought, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I lost it. That was too good. Of, that was too good of a comment, but uh, it'll yeah. come back to me eventually. Wait, you know, you're talking about coming. them gushing over City, right? I mean, so, what it was was I had to listen to them gush about the win over Chelsea, but almost say that maybe the nil-nil draw against Southampton could be the galvanizing moment that pulled together the win against City and now propels them to play PSG. So maybe it's the humbling moment of some poor managerial tactics, some poor individual errors, and some team prep and maybe underestimating our opponent brings us together, go gets a rotated squad to get a, a, a crucial victory in the Champions League in Porto. We come home and put our best foot forward against City, and we march off on you know one of our runs because we still have another set of fixtures coming after this with the international breaks um, that we all hate so much. So there'll be plenty of time to talk about nothing for that week except for how much we hate the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, and we do actually have somebody. Uh, she's not part of the American Scouser TV. We're trying to get her on American Scouser TV. Uh, Megan is actually going to be at the city game. So hopefully she'll get us some pictures and all kinds of stuff that we can share on the page and on the Facebook page and stuff as well. And hopefully she'll be watching a win over there so how about for the gets get some uh score predictions over here fergus says 2-0 against city are we that optimistic with the shutouts is this defense gonna wake up big time and kind of try to make a point i think that asking for a, a, a clean sheet is a tough ask but i will say this City has struggled scoring goals against top six in the Premier League for the last 18 months. They've actually won or lost all of their matchups, leading back to, I think, beating us at the end of last year. Uh, one nil, one or lost. So it's not like they're pounding goals, um, and I think we can do enough. I'm going to say 3-1 Liverpool. I like that. What do you have, Bickler? Yeah, I'll go the other way. This is a weird one because I think, like, City's kind of, like, run hot and cold throughout the year. They've looked terrible. They've looked amazing uh, all within a span of three or four days and times. Man, I could see, like, I could see us pulling out, like, a 1-0. Like, one where there's just not a lot of, like, shots on goals either. The chances are pretty limited. It's pretty cagey in general. I could see it being kind of a tight, cagey match. I'm hoping for 3-1. Boy, it says 4-3. I, I got to give him the number to my doctor. Uh, Click it. My heart won't take that crap. Yeah, I don't have that in me. <laughs> How about for tomorrow, guys? What do you guys think? We got yeah, Paul. I'll start with you. Oh, you start with me? Don't pass the buck. Don't pass the buck. He gets I'm going to uh, go tomorrow. I'm going to go 2-0 Liverpool. Strong road win. Yeah, I like that. I like that score. I'll go two one just to be just just to change it up and be a little bit different. But yeah, I I feel like I don't know. Porto is a dangerous side. I think we've got enough quality though. 
I go with uh, Ferguson's Gasagi. I'd go 3-1 or maybe even like 3-2 away win tomorrow. Porto will be dangerous attacking, but I feel like we will hit him on the counter regardless of who plays up front. This honestly is a great game for Divac, I think, to use his pace and, you know, on the counter and get some goals. Boas is 2-4. I can go with that as long as it's not too bad and Matur says 6-0. And some exploitatives, which means he's not going to get his rations this week at American Scouser. So, gentlemen, thank you for joining me this week. Uh, maybe we will be able to get together for a post-match tomorrow and talk about the 6-0 or 4-2 or the 3-2 win either way. But, uh, and thanks to all those for following us, uh, sharing the broadcast, commenting. Uh, really love the interaction today. It was like an awesome podcast to do. And we were wearing shirts as a boost. So, gentlemen, any parting thoughts, Pickler? Do you have more gores and pumpkins and stuff to put up in the back? Yeah, let me pick my favorite one out. Yeah, share it with the audience what you. He's essentially just mute. Like I don't. They're like mutant squash, right? Like what are they? I don't even understand the. I mean, it's like festive. Like yeah, it's fall. I mean, it looks like an autumn breeze. Like blew some shit into my house, like leaves and stuff. But like I don't. What am I like? Make a necklace out of this of like mutant squash? I don't understand what these are. Man, so so definitely asking the wrong guy. Um, yeah, I, I you kept you were telling me what it was you bought and so proud of it, and I had no clue until you just pulled it into the screen. I mean, I this is just mainly like, honestly, it's mainly for my online dating profile. Like, I don't even know. Like, I have to look like I live somewhere that's not a, like you. Yeah. Oh, I would think you're going to get a lot of hits from grandmas uh, if you have that gold on your online profile for the dating site. So you go, you do you. We're not judging. I mean, we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, gentlemen, thanks a lot. And thanks to all for him. Hey, by the way, boy says to eat the gourd, but I wouldn't recommend it because we need you on next week's podcast. <laughs> you might be out of action for a while. Thank you again, gentlemen. Appreciate and see you all guys uh, next week. Same time, 7 p.m. Central on Monday. Take care.